Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers, and for this episode, Van Lifers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 112. It is a warm and beautiful Friday here in South Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where we are in the midst of a measles outbreak. Yeah, it's not 1920, it's 2019, and measles is back. Luckily, I have to get vaccinated often for travel, and I got my booster for MMR, so I am unlikely to get measles. Phew. Okay, my guests today are an amazing couple named Kit and JR. You may know them as the Idol Theory bus team. Uh, they are van lifers. They travel, live, work out of their van sunshine. If you go to their Instagram account, they're, they have really beautiful photos. I believe that JR takes the photos. And the orange van just sort of like makes all the colors around it pop. So the, the photos are gorgeous. They're really inspiring. They always have like these, these long write-ups with all their posts uh, that I really love. Their website, Idle Theory Bus, has all sorts of information about them and links to the things that we talk about in this episode. There's also... Uh, uh, a lot of interviews and things like that and some videos that they've been a part of so you can see all of that uh, documented on their website. They also have this cool Our Story type of thing where they've got a video and some illustrations and cartoons and pictures and a write-up. I'm going to read just the beginning of that uh, to give you a little context because we, we go pretty in-depth in, in this episode, but I'll start with this. For over three years, we've traveled, lived, and worked on the road full-time. We've been all over the U.S., from the red rock deserts of Utah to the lush greenery of the Northwest, seeking out wild spaces where human development hasn't yet encroached. Our income comes from gigs on all sorts of farms. We are a type of traveler traditionally known as a hobo, or a migrant laborer. From fruit harvests to milking goats to digging ditches, We've pieced together temporary physical labor jobs, traveling with agricultural seasons, and seeking, above all, balance between the mind, body, and spirit. They're really like pioneers in this movement. It's a it's a movement and a lifestyle that's uh, gained popularity and become a bit of a trend. And I don't say that disparagingly. Uh, if you're going to join any trend, this is a real good one to join. Uh, but I love their outlook about life even just talking about like what leisure time means and what being idle means. We talk about hard work. We talk about some of the difficulties of van life travel and then some of the amazing things about it. They are really, really inspiring to me. I've been in communication with them for a couple of years now. We tried to make this happen. Obviously, I went away for a while and couldn't do it. So uh, super, super stoked that we were able to do this. They're in North Carolina right now, and I am, as you know, am in measles-ridden Brooklyn. So we did this one over the phone. Sounds real good, though. Um, yeah, so make sure you go to the show notes for this episode to find the links for everything that we talked about. You can also go to the show notes to find the link to my Patreon account. That is patreon.com slash thevoyagesoftimvetter. And that is a subscription-based service where you can support this podcast monthly with a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, ten thousand dollars, so that I can retire tomorrow 
and never work again. No. So that we can get more episodes coming. Um, we can get some more stuff from the road. And if you enjoy the education and the stories and the entertainment and stuff like that, it'd be great if you helped. Okay. Right before we get into this conversation, I'm going to play a quick song. This song is Sunshine. You know the one, like, You Are My Sunshine, My Only Sunshine. Who, who wrote this song? Um, I don't know, but it's been covered a million times, and this is a quick version of it. It's not the full song, but this is by Amanda Rogers, and it's a tribute to Sunshine the Van. So this is Sunshine by Amanda Rogers, and then our conversation. First of all, thank you so much. I mean, I've seen that you guys have uh, been covered, you know, quite extensively over the years in different sort of media outlets. And I know that, I'm, you know, I'm not anybody massive. So I really appreciate that you guys are giving me the time today to uh, sit and chat. So thank you to both of you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. We're excited. So due to the fact that you were covered and on your website you have sort of the your own story broken down in a really cute way with illustration and pictures and things like that um i still think it's probably important that we sort of set some context for people who may not have heard about you and are just tuning in so why don't we try to start all the way at the beginning and talk about sort of life before the van and why you made the decision to uh live in sunshine Sure. Let's go there. Let's go all the way back to cool. the beginning. So our first year, so we've been living in our VW bus named Sunshine for seven years now, seven years full time. The first year we lived in the bus was 2010. We spent an entire year in the bus. Then I wanted to get a real job. So I convinced Kit to go back to LA and get a real job. And that didn't last very long. So we've headed back out on the road in 2012. So it's been full time for seven years now. Before we hit the road in 2010, we were college students. 
and we had spent these years, JR studied film, I studied English literature, and we had spent these years sitting down at a desk uh, working, doing things we loved, of course, learning about things we loved, but we were sick of sitting, we were sick of using our minds and felt like our bodies had been neglected for years, not only, you know, in a fitness sense, but also they didn't feel useful. So we kind of had this idea, you know, the recession was in the, its worst point about in 2010. The job market was awful. Things looked really bleak. We were watching everyone we knew uh, lose what extra they had gained through material, um, you know, immaterially. And we were just kind of like, man, screw this. Like, why, why are we going to go into this job market? That's, you know, what are we going to do? Work at a grocery store? And being sick of, of being mine, we said, you know what, let's hit the road and work on farms. Um, so that's what we did. We were, we were in Southern California and we headed out and we started looking for these farms that we could work on and we got jobs. And that's what we did our first year on the road in 2010. We kind of farm hopped. We would work for six weeks or so on a farm, travel for about the same amount of time, and then we would run out of money and stop and get another job. That was our first year on the road. Wow. Um, and as JR said, uh, he got kind of antsy at that point. You know, uh, we had spent time picking chestnuts, you know, weeding uh, tomatoes, you name it. And he was, he was like, I have this degree. I love filmmaking, which is what his degree was in. And he said, I need to move back to LA and try to make this work. And I kind of went, my, my heels were dug in. I was not into the idea of going back to the city after this year on the road, but we figured, okay, let's try it. And what was your take on that year, JR? Um, I did get the opportunity to do filmmaking full time. And although I loved that, I loved making videos. I made 50 some internet videos that year, uh, five minute shorts profiling people in the independent surf culture. And I was making videos left and right, cranking things out, interviewing people, having a good time with that. But I still had this feeling that I was spending so much time just behind the desk, inside, uh, working all the time and in one particular facet. So what we have tried to do since then is work half of our time, uh, specifics, work some of our time on uh, physical labor jobs and some of our time on art creation and um, computer-related jobs. Uh, this, to us, helps us maintain a mental and physical balance. Um, being in the van is along those lines. Everything that we do, we do outside pretty much. So it's a very physical life for us. So even when we do are, are doing more creation and more computer-oriented things. We're doing them in these wild spaces and with our bodies. I love it. It's, you know, you had posted something, I think it was somewhat recently. Um, I forget what the timestamp on it was, but you had a friend, I believe his name was Richard, and he had uh, sort of prepared his life in such a manner that most people do in that you're going to retire and then you have all of these goals after you retire. And, you know, I'm sort of uh, telling this story for you here, but unfortunately he passed away uh, shortly before retirement and then could not actually realize those goals and dreams. And it's something that I think about a lot because uh, I recently made a change to my life. It's not quite as drastic as what you guys have done, but 
I was in a career position. I was an assistant principal in a school. And, you know, my days were, were crazy. Um, and I, I could see myself waking up at 55, 60 and thinking, holy shit, where did the last 30 years go? And it, it's, it's funny to me because, you know, there's so many sort of life extension things, you know, supplements are, are really big right now. And like, you know, which diet is the one that's going to make me healthiest and live longest, like ketogenic or, or this or that or low sugar. And yeah, I think all of those things are really good. But what is the point of extending your life if you're not actually living your life in those good years, you know? So um, I, th- yeah. I, I think it's really admirable what you guys have done. And I actually think, or, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty certain that what you've done is starting to catch on with a lot of people. Yes, that's true. We have seen a lot of people following in the footsteps of what we're doing there with heading out and trying to live life for today. That's a really big movement today. I think it's really interesting to note on that, that essence of delayed retirement or retirement now. When we first hit the road, we like went all out and didn't worry about what we were going to do uh, monetarily or for the future. And we just lived it. And we were like, yep, we're just li- we just lived and lived until we crashed into and burned. And uh, we've had some, some serious moments where we didn't have anything to our name, didn't have any idea of what we would do to do something else. Um, and those have been hard as well. So it's been an interesting thing to say, let's go for it now and not worry about the future. But then at a certain point, you have to actually think about that as well. It, that makes any sense. It's been, you know, it's been a process since we've been doing this for so long. You know, it's pretty common, I think, in a lot of uh, cultures to go and spend a sabbatical year, even as a young person, you backpack around Europe, you, you know, go to South America, you go to, you know, you even go on a year long road trip. I think that that's kind of a rite of passage for many people in our society. Taking that to an extreme and doing that across years and years is definitely not as common. You know, everyone in the beginning kind of figured, well, you're young, you're just out of school, you're going to do this and get sick of it two years in. And it's not the same as it was in the beginning. I would say, you know, we've, we're older, we've, we've grown, as JR said, we don't, you know, we do think about the future more than we did our first year on the road where it was like, oh, you know, we have about $50 uh, to our name right now. Let's go get a job next week or else. Um, we, don't, we don't quite live at that line anymore, but going there, you know, going down to the bare basics of what you need consciously by choice, I think is something that almost everyone should experience as a young person because of the perspective that you were talking about, you know, what happened with Richard that you outlined, who was one of our, you know, fans and followers who I've been emailing with, his story was devastating to me. I'm sure he lived a rich and fulfilled life. And I know he had people who loved him, but this idea of waiting for a certain point because it'll be secure. Well, his story proves that there is no such thing as security. What I think JR is hitting on is that you need a certain amount of security. I'm not sure if we were always at this 
point of having $50 to our name, that that would be sustainable for us just because the stress of that would outweigh the enjoyment of life, you know? So we're, we're, we're still trying to figure that out. Where is the balance between, you know, pure hedonism and delaying all of your wants and desires? Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, one of the big things I think too, like this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is like healthcare, right? So I'm, you know, assuming without job-based healthcare, you either are paying for it or you don't have it. Uh, is that something that you can, or that you're like comfortable talking about? Yeah, we, we just pay for it. Um, we've used, utilized the government systems for people that don't have as much money. So that's been helpful to us. And we just buy it as, as needed. So we do have health insurance. I think that, um, optimistically we, as far as healthcare goes, we turn a lot to body care and looking towards making an optimal person that has less health issues. Obviously catastrophes happen to good people. Um, and we have insurance for that, but you mentioned earlier, a lot of optimization things. We are also into that. We feel like in doing this in chasing the balance of physical and mental work, as well as physical and mental play, we are chasing a life that is a little bit healthier for our bodies and our mind and hope that that will carry us. A lot of our investment goes into wellness now for the future, which I think I, I, I agree with you that there's a huge movement going on and I'm excited about this of people wanting to optimize health and, and thinking of prevention rather than, you know, fixing a problem after it's already manifested. I'm very excited that that's happening and we definitely invest a lot of our time and effort in that. Um, and we, our hope is that, you know, that, that pays off for us, that by being outside, being active, walking around, you know, choosing uh, healthy foods and living in a way that's joyful, right? Isn't stress the number one killer in the developed world? Right. Uh, and so if you can alleviate stress, you know, you need some stress in life, right? But if you can alleviate this chronic low-grade stress, how much more healthy and beneficial are you to society and that's that's been our goal in in achieving this balance. Yeah, I mean it's funny because you know I haven't done van travel, but even in you know the regular travel that I've done. So I just did uh, six months overseas, and people always ask things like, "Well, like, are you eating well? Are you healthy?" And I'm like, well, I'm walking everywhere. <laughs> like I'm eating in markets for really cheap. I'm, I'm way healthier than I am when I'm back home in New York City, like living a somewhat sedentary lifestyle under like um, artificial light in an office building, breathing in brake dust uh, and fumes as I'm walking from the subway to work. It's like, yeah, like when you're on the road, you're using your body, you're eating locally, you're eating organically. And for me, at least, I've, I've always felt a lot healthier. And so- I've, I've seen in your travels, like you guys gathering fruit and things like that, and you're out in nature and you're swimming in lakes. I'd imagine that all of those things have to be paying dividends for you uh, in your body and your health. That's our hope. I have a question for you. Sure. When you are living your, you know, regular day-to-day -day life 
in New York, which by the way, congratulations on your six month trip. That sounds amazing. Thank you. Um, when you're, when you're living your normal life, do you find that people ask you if, if that's sustainable or healthy? Is that a question you get asked? Um, if like a nine to five is sustainable and healthy or the, yeah. uh, yeah. well, I, you know, to be honest, I haven't gone back to normalcy yet. Um, good for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of doing piecemeal work while doing this. Uh, really my long-term goal is to sort of, um, so I'm seeing someone and she also, uh, has traveled extensively. She did a year in Colombia and South America. And so our plan is to sort of like replenish funds for a year or so and then try to do a year in South America and just sort of like live this type of a lifestyle perpetually. <laughs> um, so I haven't returned to normalcy, but, you know, when I had been in my career, no, I, you know, people hadn't, I guess everyone sort of thought that was normal in and to be honest with you, as an assistant principal, like I felt like people treated me much differently that way because it was a career that seemed prestigious, right? Like you're important and smart and successful. Um, and I think it was sort of surprising for some people and confusing for them why I would sort of give that away or not sort of give that away, give that away. Uh, but to me, like I've, I've never been happier and maybe I'll return to education someday, but, um, you know, what we're at 10 months now, I guess, since I've done it nine months, uh, my life is, it feels like a movie <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, that's good. Great on you for breaking free. And I wish you all the luck in, you know, making this happen for yourself sustainably. I just, I find it so interesting that, you know, if you're living a life that's perceived as being within the bounds of normalcy that no, it's rarely questioned if that is healthy or sane. And often when you look at it and you really examine what's going on in these structures, a lot of it is not healthy. And a lot of it, you know, does jeopardize our sanity. I think, I think that, you know, mental health, man, it's hard to keep a steady state of mind in a lot of these environments that the modern world puts us in, as you were saying, even down to, I agree, artificial lighting. I mean, that we're not meant to, to be under that all day. We're meant to be outside in the sunshine. And I just think it's interesting how little that's questioned. So I think that you're right, that our culture is now beginning to wake up to that. More and more people are asking that question of what does it mean to live a good life and what does good mean, right? What is the quality we're aiming at? A hundred percent. And it's something I think about a lot. It's probably like the number one question I get and in, in, in the emails I get are like people thinking, well, I want to be doing something different. How can I do it? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Which I think, so sort of touching on what you said, can you explain... Um, sort of like your, your, I don't know if it's your moniker or your, the, the idle theory idea, because I think that's really great. Sure. Should I take this that, is, JR? This is Kit's favorite topic. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> so, so we already discussed the first year that we hit the road where our goal was to work with our bodies instead of our minds. When we hit the road again in 2012, I had been working, you know, both of us have been working a lot that year when we went back to the city. And I started to read a lot and think a lot about 
time and how, you know, modern people or people in the past spent their time. And I, you know, started reading a lot of philosophy of, about work and leisure. And, you know, that was kind of prepping us in a way for hitting the road again, because as I started thinking about time and how we invest it, you know, I came up with this, what I call my idle theory. So in my idle theory, I divide time into three sorts. There's work, which is what you do to survive. There is leisure, which is what you do, which is time spent doing what you love. And then there's idleness, which is time spent doing nothing. And what I find in the modern developed world is that there is a lot of emphasis placed on our work. And it's interesting how I define work is what you need to survive. But obviously, many of us work many more hours than what we need to survive, right? And my question becomes, at that point, why are we working? What is it we're trying to gain? And why do we value work so much? Where does this come from? And of course, if you go back historically, there's, there's you know, this, this sense that work is godly. There's a moral um, aspect to it. There's this feeling of void when we're not working because who are we? If we're defined by our work, who are we when we're not working? Then you go down to leisure time, right? And a lot of people who find joy outside of work find it in leisure pursuits. So, you know, this comes into your classic, I go hiking, I go skiing, I knit, I read books, I'm part of this, you know, you know, pick, pick your, your art choice, right? Any of those things. And a lot of people, though they hate, maybe they don't like their job or they tolerate their job, you know, if you ask them what they are, they'll say, I am a skier and they work to fund their ski lifestyle. So I find that those two types of time, work and leisure, those are both very accepted by society. People respect that you, you know, dedicate time to your job or your work and they don't question that. And then if you don't really like your work, but you use your free time to do something that you love, that's also very accepted. Then we get into this third type of time, idle time. This is where things get tricky with society, right? So I started reading around and I was like, huh, you know, over and over I kept coming to, well, what do we do when we're not at work and we're not at leisure? We're idle. All of the literature that I came across, almost all of it, I would say 97% talked about idleness in terms of this kind of evil, scary time that we humans should avoid. We, that's, the idle time is for animals. Only animals lounge around under trees or, you know, you, know, I, you, know, you have all of these negative connotations with idleness. And I started to think, wow, I've never really spent a lot of time consciously doing nothing. And I, you know, when JR and I were talking about, wow, do we want to stay in the city? Do we want to keep doing this longer than this year or so? I said, you know what, what if we go out for a year? We have some money saved since we've been working so much. Let's just go out and consciously do nothing for, for a whole year. Let's not work at all. And let's not really even chase our leisure pursuits very much. Let's, let's go out with the, with the goal of doing nothing. And that year was transformative for us. We lived our idle theory, which is to spend time doing nothing down to a T. So we would wander around. We didn't go with a goal. We didn't go with a purpose. We just went out to sit and listen to what was there aside from, you know, these other pursuits. And what we found in that is that because we had spent so much of our time, 
you know, aiming at something, we were able to uncover these, you know, pretty, uh, these parts of ourselves that we didn't know existed. And to me, I almost feel as though I learned more in that year than I had in a long time with outside input. I was, there's this wisdom that all of us have inside, right? Um, so that's, that has informed our travels since in the past seven years. We take time to purposefully do nothing just because our culture overvalues those other two forms of time so much that we feel like we're swinging to the opposite side of the pendulum to try to balance things out. I love that. D- do you know who um, Chris Ryan is? He's He wrote Sex at Dawn. He has a podcast called Tangentially Speaking. No, I have not heard of him. He, he's really great and he talks about something similar because, I mean, I'll say at the outset that like, you know, hard work is incredibly admirable. And like, I always use the reference of like my dad, my dad busted his ass when we were kids to like make sure that we were fed. Right. Um, and anybody who does that for their family, for their loved ones, like absolutely, like you have to do it. And it's incredibly admirable. But we also have sort of this, in sort of media culture and in podcast culture, this like, uh, I guess it's part, it comes from like self-improvement and stuff, but it's like, yeah, work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, and you'll get what you want, bust your ass. And Chris Ryan talks about like, hey, okay, yes, but like what's so wrong with like hanging out in a hammock for a couple hours? And Hmm. I, I do something similar. I just did about a month in California and we went to some national parks and stuff. But when we were, we were in San Francisco, it was like, what are we going to do today? Hey, let's just go to the park and like sleep in the sun. And it's funny because at the end of that day, it's from some people would be like, okay, you did nothing. You were lazy. But we felt amazing. Like it's a reset. The, being out in the fresh air and in the sun is really good for you. And it's like, yeah, I'm not thinking about schedules. I'm not thinking about meetings. I'm not even thinking about like, when am I going to eat next? it really helps to like shut off all of that noise that's constantly going in your brain. Like it, it's funny. Cause like, I think about that stuff all the time, even like food, right? Like it's in the morning and I'm thinking like, what am I going to cook for dinner? <laughs> so yeah, like I think that that idle time helps to just really clear all the clutter out of your brain. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm with it guys. I like that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I would, I would second you in that hard work is, crucial and necessary. And I think that our response in valuing idle time above all else and kind of making that our purpose is to say, well, maybe we overvalue work. And that's, you know, for most people, that is a given, especially, you know, in in our culture, like you were saying, of people who are high achievers or, you know, who, you know, we all want to contribute to society. And I think that's part of what work is about, right? Beyond just survival, why do we work more than we need to? Well, it's for others in our lives. And it's because we care about each other and want to make a better world. And I think you're right that, you know, I would not say I'm, we are not out to undercut the value of work or leisure. We're just saying, hey, let's undo all of these thousands of years of perpetuating the myth that idleness is bad for us. Because like you said, laying in the sun for a day, well, how much better does that make your work? Now you're ready to go back, recharge to contribute something better to society than you would otherwise. And that's the beauty in it. 
balance is an ongoing process. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a static state that we achieve. So we, I think we all go through these stages in our lives where maybe we overwork. And then it's the question is, how do we balance that? So how do we consciously take time to do nothing despite the pressure to do a lot of something so that we can go back to the world refreshed to give? Absolutely. All right. I want to ask some practical things. Um, you, you, you covered how you're working on farms and kind of making money as you needed to. I'm going to put all of like your art projects and the books and zines and things like that on hold because I'm going to get to that. But I think that people would probably think right away like, okay, there's certain comforts or, or certain things at home that are easy that might seem difficult on the road. So if you guys could talk about some of the practical things, even like, you know, where are you using the bathroom? Where are you? I know you're sleeping in the van, but, um, or in the bus, but where, where is the bus housed when you're sleeping in it? Like, are you in parking lots? Are you in campsites? Um, how are you procuring food and things like that? Right. So yeah, main question, how do you live in a van? Everyone (laughs) knows how to live in a house but they want to know how do you live in a van. And I think that um, you have to understand that we live in a van, but we spend most of our time outside of the van. So it's how do you live out of a van? And um, the van moves. The van can go wherever you want to go. So we spent, we, as far as sleeping and so forth, we use a lot of campgrounds. Um, We have stayed in people's driveways. And we've also stayed at Walmart, which is a place you can stay at if we're in a pinch. Most of the time, we head out into the woods and go to a campground in the woods and um, stay there. And we had, yeah, we like being out. You know, a lot of why we do what we do is to be out in wild places. So I would say the time spent in a city, camped in a parking lot or in someone's driveway is... It's really minimal for us, but I mentioned it because you asked how to do it. And many people enjoy the city a lot more than we do. We don't really enjoy the city very much. So we spend 95% of our time in the woods at a camp spot in the woods. Um, but if you enjoy the city, you can do it those ways as well. There, You can go to an RV park or a um, and stay with a friend or something like that. This is how to, not exactly how we do it, but how to. Okay. Um, so that's that's easy enough. There there are plenty of places for, that are designated for you to camp, and most of those places also have a restroom with them. So that crosses that off pretty easy. We are not afraid of peeing on the ground. Yeah, um, included. <laughs> so that means that restrooms is a lot easier to find. And we for for the other side of things, we carry a good metal shovel, and we you know according to leave no trace principles, we dig a deep hole and uh, use the restroom outside. That's how we choose to do it because we like being outside. And honestly, for us, pooping with a view is about uh, as good as it gets in the morning. <laughs> yeah, so that, that doesn't really bother us. As far as um, showering and bathing and so forth, we go swimming any chance we, can, we get. My motto is always go swimming. So if there is a Hell yeah. water source nearby, I'm in it. I have been in glacier runoff. Um, glacier lakes, um, small lakes, big lakes, canals, um, sprinklers. sprinklers. So it can be anything. If there's, if it's water, it will get wet. And that, that keeps things pretty hygienic overall. And then of course you can go into a truck stop, you know, uh, truck stops have showers and 
state park campgrounds have showers and commercial campgrounds have showers. So they're all around. You can get that if that's what you need. We will often spend two up to two weeks in the same uh, national forest area and not shower at all and just go swimming in the waterfalls and call that a shower. I love it. Yeah, I would I would say that our version of hygiene, our definition of that is probably slightly different than than most people, but we're only usually around each other and some birds, so it doesn't really bother us. We're outside most of the time, and uh, that's just life. That's just, you know, this is the smell of life for us. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> I, have you noticed a trend? Yeah, we don't mind being a little bit dirty. So as far as, like, cookware, we cook on cast iron, which is socially acceptable not to wash with soap anyway. And uh, then we we heat water in our pot, in our teapot, and then we pour it over our dishes and, and rinse them out, and that's dishes. It's It's mostly the same as we would do it in a house, but you don't have those particular amenities. And I, and I would say that the way that, you know, to define to us what living in our bus means is we sleep at, you know, that's our house. So we sleep in there and um, we cook in there and all of our stuff is in the bus. We don't have a storage unit somewhere. We don't have, you know, a house. Some people who, who do van travel, I know they, you know, they own a house and then they go off seasonally and maybe they rent the house out or something like that. Because, you know, we started kind of with nothing, and I wouldn't say we've gained a whole bunch uh, financially or in material, we still live out of our bus, and that's, that's everything we, we have. So life for us, I adore simplicity. It keeps my mind clear. Um, we are minimalist to an extreme. That's, that's it. Everything's there. And I think that for us, that gives us a lot of space to do the things we love, to do nothing, and to live in the spaces we love. Uh, bringing it, bringing it back to tactical, we tend to get really philosophical when we talk about things. Yeah. Uh, what, with sleeping arrangements, um, we have a Westie style bus, a Westphalia. So that means that the top goes up and we have a little pop canvas, pop top tent. And we usually sleep upstairs. There's a fold out bed up there that has a little foam mattress, uh, that's about two inches thick. We like a firm bed and we have some sheets and wool blankets up there. And unless it's really rainy or below freezing, I made this rule that if it's below freezing, I will not sleep up in the tent. <laughs> it's damn cold. Okay. So we have a second bed downstairs. Our, our back seat pulls out into this bed that will move our bedding downstairs if it's below freezing or, if, you know, we're in a tornado or something like that. And it's real windy. So most nights, because we're sleeping up in the tent, we love it because, you know, we get to hear the crickets and the coyotes at night and we get to sleep outside. That's how it feels. You know, we have these screens on the side and we can see the Milky Way out through our screen or we can look at the moon phase and, and that's just, we love it. Yeah. For practical tip of how to do it, just get rid of all of your stuff. <laughs> like, we don't have a roof rack. We don't have bikes hanging off the back. We just got rid of everything. We have some backpacking backpacks and a um, backpacking tent that we use, and we go on long walks, long hikes, week-long, and so forth into the woods. But we don't have gear or items. We just get rid of it. So the less things that you have around you, then the more ability you will have to live out of a tiny space. And I, it's like, it just comes down 
just get rid of it. If you haven't used it in a little while, get rid of it, and then it won't be in your way. So you can have a smaller space because there's nothing there to get in your way. Now, I say if you love mountain biking and that is what you like to do for leisure, then yeah, yeah by all means, your bring your bike. But for us, we're just, you know, I guess we're pretty... We take it. We take most well, things to an extreme. So I'll we, put it this way, though: If you love mountain biking or surfing, bring your bike or your surfboard, but evaluate it. If you use that surfboard like once every month because you like to also go to the mountains and you're spending a lot of time in the mountains without it, then get rid of the surfboard and go body surfing when you go to the beach. Or if you use that bike once a month because you're always on the beach, get rid of the bike and go surfing more often. Well, I, I love all of this. I'm going to unpack a little bit of it. Um, this is amazing. All right. So first of all, you mentioned swimming. I did a list of reflections when I came back from Asia. And one of them was simply, if you have a chance to swim, you swim. So I'm totally with that. I think for people, it's a really good point sort of uh, in eliminating your clutter and, and getting rid of things. I can speak on this too, because I, I got rid of pretty much everything. My entire apartment full of stuff. And when I returned, I had just my two bags. And so that's going to be real hard for everyone. You know, people have different lifestyles, people have children. I get that. But I do think that a good takeaway for some people is to get rid of some of your stuff. Uh, one, you'll realize that you are attached to physical things. Two, you'll realize you don't need much. Three, there's probably someone that does need some of the stuff that you have and maybe can't afford it. And you can donate that or you could give it away or you could give it to a school. Uh, and that's going to enrich your life and make you feel good. It's, it's been amazing for me to see all of the things I don't need. And one of the great things that has come from that is now when somebody gives me something, even if it's something silly like a shirt, or I'm always saying like if someone's willing now to like cook me dinner or make me something, I appreciate that so much more <laughs> because I don't have that thing, you know? Um, so that's, yeah, it's been, it's been quite the education when I used to really want to have stuff and to look good and to spend my money. And, you know, I was never crazy. Like I didn't even have a TV, but I did collect things and I had a zillion books, even though I read them already and they would just sit on a shelf then. Uh, and so then why do I, why do I need that just to stare at it every day and feel accomplished that I could see everything that I've read. Right. Uh, so yeah, if there's not to say everybody needs to start living in a van, but that's definitely a small step you could take, you know, in terms of increasing your happiness is starting to get rid of some of your stuff. I guess that's a real Buddhist way of looking at life, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with that. I get that. Yeah. I think that, you know, thinking about the things that you own in the life that you live as a legacy, there's a, there's a great book called the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning and it talks about in the book, um, going through your things and thinking about them in the context of what if I died tomorrow, what am I leaving behind that people would, I, I would either be a burden on people or uh. that would, someone would be happy to go through your things and it, they kind of tell the story of your life. And so I think that you're right that there's a, you know, everyone is going to have a different um a different point that's comfortable for them. And for us, that's having very little things. But of course, if most things in your life, you would be proud to leave behind for to someone or proud to have them go through when, when you are not here anymore. I thought that, I think that that's a great, definitely read that book if you're interested in, you know, paring down. And I think that that gives a great philosophy by which to go through your things, not just, you know, Oh, 
do I need this? But what does this say about me? And what joy does this bring me and the people around me? That's really interesting. I had never thought of it that way. Yeah, I hadn't before I read the book either. You should you should read it. You would enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, sort of like if this is okay, you're like a relationship question. Um, you guys seem to have a really beautiful relationship. Uh, from my perspective, so I, I live with my partner and I'm fortunate that we get along really well. Uh, but we also have sort of like, you know, we're comfortable being away from each other and alone and doing our own things. And so like she'll go to yoga. Um, I'll do this podcast. I'll go to the gym. I'll go for runs, separate friends and things like that. Um, I would imagine, you know, just human nature. It's, it could be anyone. It could be someone you love. It could be a best friend. You need separation at times. And I would imagine dealing with conflict and things like that is hard when you're in, you know, in a van because just, in terms of physical space, you're right there. Uh, is, is that something that you guys have had to deal with or to think about, or is something that you guys proactively make decisions to prevent? Um, there's a question in there somewhere. I think maybe you understand. <laughs> yeah, you know, that is a great question. And I think that has been an ongoing struggle for us. Out of struggle living in our vehicle, you know, people say, oh, is it difficult to cook? Is it difficult to find places to camp? And all of these logistic problems, I feel like are pretty straightforward for us. You know, we're able to figure those things out. Our relationship and how to exist in this tiny little 80 square foot space, only having each other as familiar faces, that has been an ongoing challenge. And we've ebbed and flowed in our ability to deal with it. I would say in the beginning, when we first hit the road, you know, everything was so exciting and we, it was like, we were, you know, partners in crime and, you know, we were an ethical Bonnie and Clyde kind of making our <laughs> way around the country. And uh, we were very happy with being together in that way for the first little bit, you know, um, that we didn't feel like we needed that separation. It was a time of incredible closeness and growth for us. And then there came a point at which, you know, I think it got, you know, it was too, too much. It got to be too far. And at those moments, we've had to step back and kind of evaluate what's going on and consciously at that point say, okay, we need some separation here. And so we've done small things in the bus that have helped with this. For example, in the beginning of our travels, we shared a cell phone to cut down on costs. And because I'm terrible with my phone and I'm constantly losing it anyway. <laughs> and, you know, we just last year invested in me having my own phone. And this might sound, you know, people think we're crazy when we say this, you know, because your phone is kind of an extension of you. And but that's been huge and to enhance our sense of self, because now people don't call and say, hey, guys, they say, hey, Kit, <laughs> you know, and that's just. Uh, it, it's, that's been really good for us. That was our first step. Um, we also have noise canceling headphones that we invested in and that's been huge for us. So basically our rule is when one of us has the headphones in, that's our, we're in a different room Uh. to each other and that's our alone space. We, I can't hear you. Maybe I see you peripherally, but leave me alone right now. That's been a great boundary for us living in the bus. As far as, um, you know, friendships and things like that, it's very interesting because we, we don't have traditional friendships in the way that, you know, society might 
might uh, define friendships. We tend to hang out with people very intensely for a short period of time on the road, whether it's because we're working on their farm or we're staying on their property or we met them on the side of the road and picked them up and took them out to camp with us. And we've found a lot of our friends are strangers who we get to know quite quickly. Maybe we'll see them next year. Maybe we won't. Um, And recently in the past two years, I would say we've started cultivating ongoing friendships that we um, talk to outside of each other. And that also has been a good growing step for us. Uh, Would you say so, JR? Yeah, I think it's been, for us, the constant travel thing definitely changes the dynamics of how you relate to the world and you relate to your partner. So everything is changing every day and your partner is the only person that, or only thing, only person that is, steady and static. So it's easier to get along with them because everything else is so hard that they're the easy one. Then along to friendships um, and other people, well, you're only going to see, we only see people for a little bit and then we circle back around and see them again a year or so later. So we have had friendships where we're both friends with that person. Recently, we've had it more where We'll be like, well, you want to go hang out with them? I'm going to go on a hike by myself. You hang out with them today, and I'm going to go do my own thing. And with that, I think you can do it. I think you could do that even more intensely than we do. It's just about scheduling it out. You know, you mentioned that your partner goes to yoga and you don't. Well, you know, you don't have to literally orbit around your bus every moment of the day. You can, if you like yoga and things like that, you can go do those things and leave your bus in a parking lot. That's not hard to do. Mm. So, for, yeah, so that's the concept. Uh, yeah, thanks for being candid about that. I know that was probably kind of personal, but uh, something probably important to consider before maybe somebody embarks on a similar journey. Um, yeah, I would. I would say just. I sorry. Yeah, it's okay. I'm cutting you off. No, no. I would say that. I would say that. Um, you learn very quickly. You know, uh, I have. I have a friend who did a uh, year and a half on the road stint with her partner and they had not been together very long at all, three months. And she said, you know, she knew about two months in that they could work together for a long time. So I think that if you're, if you're looking to to speed up the uh, viability of your relationship, living in a vehicle together or probably you're traveling abroad together as well is, is a kind of a good, uh, jump, you know, it's a good kickstart on that. It's okay. How do we uh, deal with adversity? How do we, handle stress together can we have boundaries within this and that's you know the answer to that is different for everyone a lot of people i know who who we've talked to who are our friends would not be able to handle the intensity at which we live with each other we have very you know jr and i have very little personal space and i would i would not say that our experience should be everybody some people are threatened by that and i'm and i don't think that it's better or worse it just is it's just how it's worked for us and i think there's a million ways to make that work yeah uh, again thanks for sharing that that's um uh you know deeply personal and i appreciate that uh sort of on that you know friendship tip though i was wondering if you guys could sort of speak on the van life community 
and sort of like how you guys have fit into that. If you've met a lot of people on the road, if you've shared resources and, and meals together and things like that, because I see all this stuff about van lifers and even like meetup events. And I think I've seen you guys perhaps post some stuff before. So I was wondering if you could speak on the community a little bit. Yeah. Van life as a thing um, kind of is, has been a really cool evolution to watch. When we did our first year on the road, there wasn't a term van life. Actually, our friend Foster Huntington kind of coined the term in 2011. And I made a video with him and we did some van trips together. Um, so that's kind of when that term and such came into being. And at that time, it wasn't really that cool to live in your van or travel in your van for an extensive period of time. I think that there were people doing it, but nobody was telling each other that they did it because it wasn't a cool thing to do. And over time with ourselves and others talking about it openly and saying, yeah, well, I really like this. And this is what, this is my truth. This is what I'm up to. And this is what I like. More and more people have been interested in that lifestyle and found value in it. So the community of van life has grown and grown. And since then, in the last few years, we all kind of been looking around and saying, well, how do we um, help each other through this um, time? Just like we're giving you ideas and tips right now, we would love to share our thoughts and our um, findings from living it before and help you live it now because we feel like it's a viable lifestyle that anybody can give a try. So we have leaned into that and we are actually having a gathering in August this year in Taos, New Mexico. Oh, and cool. We're working with Van Life Diaries, which is a um, group uh, focused on van life and the, the discussions of van life. And I think it's been really cool to see everybody kind of start doing this more and more and learning what it is and throwing their stuff on social media uh, and saying, this is what I'm up to and this is how it feels for me. And then people writing back and saying, this is what I'm up to and this is how it feels for me. And I think it's been really a really good explosion of people trying things and finding their way of doing it. And that's, I guess, I feel like it's cool. We kind of all meet in the online social media world is how we exchange these thoughts and ideas. And now with these gatherings that are starting, we're able to exchange them in person with a larger group of people. It's been like, little campfires, three vans at a time kind of getting together. And now it's kind of like taking those three van campfires and smashing them together with each other and sharing that connectivity. Awesome. Yeah, I think everyone, everyone who's part of, you know, van life is we're at a point now where it reached a critical mass of, well, there's enough people here. Let's define what this means because once there's a certain number of people doing something, um, I think that the movement needs a definition and it needs a purpose and a common goal that we're working towards. Not that all of us, you know, not that all of us have the exact same beliefs, but that we, we are a community trying to make the, you know, contribute to the world. And what are we contributing to the world? I think that where we've come in the last two years, which is when the gatherings really started, is, well, let's get everyone together who wants to show up and let's have conversations about where this is going and what our intentions are. 
because, you know, movements can quickly devolve into chaos or they can become, you know, there can be schisms of intent. It can just become a parody of themselves. That too. It can become a media, you know, a lot of a lot mm. of movements that are spread through the media, which van life definitely is one because it's a glamorous story. Um, you know, the, the, the American dream of, there's a new American dream of dropping your job and hitting the road for freedom. But what does that actually mean? That's just a media headline. Right. And so if that's all there is, well, what's the end of the story? That's like ending the movie with happily ever after. Okay. Well then what? That's not a really satisfying story for many of us anymore. So I think that where van life stands today, in my opinion, is it needs, you know, it needs a group of informed and, um, and passionate, uh, I guess leaders who are who can step up and say, "Hey, here's what we're doing here. Here's what this means," so that the media story doesn't get away from us. And that's what we're hoping to do by, you know, being part of the organizations. Uh, it's been a big step for us joining these because in the beginning, like we said, we kind of went out. We knew some people doing. Some of our friends were doing this. But it wasn't unified in any way. There wasn't a term for it. And we were just kind of lone wolves. And we liked that for a long time. It felt like we were on our own little adventure in our own little bubble. When the when it started to be spread around by the media, we said, wow, what does this mean? And now we're ready to step in and kind of lead the way. Because I think it's really exciting that people are interested in living a more fulfilled life through this avenue. And hopefully we're giving insight into how to do that. Yeah, there's there's some things in there I hadn't thought of. Um, but yeah, it's funny when we sort of glamorize sort of that, that type of a lifestyle or even like the type of travel I've done, people become really idealistic about it. But, you know, what you're not going to see on my Instagram account is like the 12-hour bus ride where I had traveler's stomach and there was no toilet, right? Or like being in a tropical climate and being like, all right, what is this weird rash all over my arms that I've just gotten? Because, you know, there are certainly, we've talked about the many benefits and amazing things, but there is sort of like the the tough times and even sometimes like the loneliness or the actual work it takes to make these things happen, uh, which is something that people definitely need to take into consideration as well because, yeah, just, you know, transitioning your life in this manner is not always going to be easy and comfortable. So I think that's a really good point too, to sort of like uh, take control of the narrative and not maybe let someone else tell an inaccurate depiction of this type of a lifestyle. Absolutely. And, you know, I think with, with van life and long-term travel in general, you know, internationally, no matter how you're doing it, there's this, this myth perpetuated that if you're not, if it's not going to be your, your full life or you didn't transition into it full time, that like, that's not really doing it. And I, I think that there's this expectation that's spread by the media that you have to be full time. And then that kind of leads into this travel culture where, where everyone's kind of faking it or something mm. uh, for status as though, you know, your life is worth more or, you know, you're more valid because you're doing it all the time. And I think that that's far from, from true for most people. I think for a lot of people travel, you know, I, we meet people traveling in all sorts of ways. Some people are seasonal. Uh, as I said, some people have full-time residences and just go on short trips or weekend trips in their van. And I actually think that that's in, in the van life community. If you were to take a poll or go to a gathering and, you know, question everyone, most people 
live a more, you know, they live a sedentary life and then they do this here and there for periods of time. And I think that Foster, who JR mentioned, who coined the term van life, I think that was his, his original intent, uh, intent when he defined van life was to say, hey, you know, maybe travel is more attainable if you do it you know, locally with out of a van that, you know, maybe then going on some luxury international trip, right? And that was his intent. His intent of van life wasn't that you would go do it full time for your whole life. Yeah. And that's kind of, we kind of took it from there and we love doing it full time and we do 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 it full time because that's what we love. So that's what we share. And I think if you want to do that, great. If you don't want to do that, great. I think that that's what I share because that's my truth. So live your truth and then you will live your fulfilled life. And boldly share that truth so that others can, you know, speak their truth. Because, of, you know, whenever you speak your truth loudly, your hope is that other people will step up and do the same, not that they'll conform to yours, right? That's 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 our purpose anyway. So I think that with, you know, within van life and travel, I think that the whole point of community should be to leave room for many, many different ways of doing it. And that's where a lot of the beauty comes from because if all of us were doing the same thing or living full time or doing it in the same region, well, okay, that's not very, it's not, diversity is fun. And uh, we, we're not trying to create a homogenized van life culture. Yeah, I love that because yeah, really the question is like, to what ends are you doing this, right? Uh, and really it's, it's about living the type of a life that you want to live and being happy. And that is going to take different forms for different people. And yeah, it's, there's not a cookie cutter mold for how that works with travel or even van life. So I think that that's a really good point. Um, you guys are involved in, and, and if, if we run too long, just let me know. I'm really occupying your time here. Um, but you guys are involved in a number of creative ventures and I would be remiss if we didn't mention those. Uh, so I have some of these written down, but I think maybe a good segue from the van life community is the van life application, which I believe was just launched this month or is being launched. Could you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. The van life app just came about this month. And I think, again, the intention there is to kind of bring people together who are interested in this lifestyle and these ideas and continue the discussion and continue to help shape what um, van life means to all of us and um, how we use it. There are features on the app of um, connectivity, of being able to find campsites and being able to find campsites with other people. So it hopefully can create more of those little fires that I was talking about. Hopefully uh, we're not as much just bouncing around like ships passing in the night, but we're um, able to reach out and connect to people and say hello and, um, and share those thoughts and ideas in the, in person and in the flesh. So it's funny because it's an app, but the intention is to create more um, in the flesh contact. I I think when people, when people travel, you know, when we traveled without a, a smartphone you know, a lot of who you met up with or who you were able to speak with was the random person in the truck stop. That and you don't met. stop doing that. 
Yeah. Don't make it so that you only use the app or the social media or so forth and you don't make any new friends because some of our best experiences in the world have been meeting somebody at a gas station, going back to their ranch, sharing dinner with their wife and kids and enjoying a slice of how their life is. So it's important to meet people that um, are interested in the same things that you're doing. There's a lot of value in that, but don't miss out on meeting a stranger either. Yes. And that was an aside. <laughs> they are I'm passionate about that. Yes, that is that's something we're passionate about. But we found that, you know, we often were not able to connect with anybody doing anything like us. So we ended up spending all of our time with people living drastically different lives. I think that again, going back to where is the vision, how do we connect people, how does this become a movement? Um, is that's one of the the things that the creators of the app hope to perpetuate and we are not you know we are founding members of the app so that means that we give we are we kind of for consulting and for ideas and, and advising for support it yeah, oh, cool. we're there to support we did not create the app and brianne and jeff um are are the ceo and coo and they're great and they they created this it's their baby and we're really excited for them and we're there because we have a vested interest in our community and we want to make sure that we're being a voice for people who are out there full time and what their wants and needs are. We see this as being a tool to continue the conversation. And so if somebody wants to get on board with that, do they just put van life into an app store? How do they, uh, how do they get that? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Everyone knows how to search things. So yeah. if you do that, <laughs> you'll get there. I think it's called the van life app officially, but you'll get there. Yeah, it's called The Van Life App, and it's available for download as of last week. It's It was brand new. It's brand spanking new. So you can, there is a free version. You don't get access to all of the um, the tools there, but you can give it a try and see if it works for you, or you can subscribe and um, be part of it. There's a chat function. I think that you know people so far are seeming to really enjoy it, and hopefully this is really the start of something good. Awesome. I'm definitely going to go download that. Um, So something that is your baby is you recently released the fourth edition of your zine. Can you talk about both the the series of zines and the Orange's Optimism book? Yeah. um, Orange's Optimism is the name of our book. It's a hashtag that we had used for a long time because our bus is orange and we believe in the power of optimism. The back of the book says, an optimist is the most radical thing you can be. Uh, Kit wrote that, and we believe in it, that um, optimism is a radical act. You are putting yourself out there, and you are expecting good things from the future, and good things are coming your way. As far as, like, us as artists, I guess, is what that question leads to, we love to share on the internet. We've shared on Instagram for a long time. We actually just started a YouTube channel. So plugging those things in is great. Everyone go subscribe. But uh, <laughs> we love sharing things. And what we do in our idle time is take the um, things that we, we take the things that we find out in the world and we synthesize them and we make them into art and we share them with you. So that's what we've done through our zine series and our book and now hopefully with our YouTube channel is what we love to do is in, in 
gross ourselves in the world around us, learn from it, and then share back through our art. Yeah, kind of our, our physical journey has it definitely has a large mental component and um, creativity. And we've learned so much and we have so much that we want to share. So we, we do that however we can. We're passionate about art. We are artists. It's very interesting. Both of us studied art forms in school and both of us intended to be artists from a young age. And I, it's been an interesting journey to go live this life. We don't create fiction. We create um, art around this life that we've built. And actually, I've come to believe that my life has become a piece of art. I feel like I'm actively creating it every step of the way and the secondary art comes from there. So it's been really cool to have this whole, you know, physical component where we're traveling around and then have come from it, our blog, which grew to, you know, an Instagram account, which grew to a book uh, that, you know, thousands of people have now and a zine series, which for those of you who don't know, a zine is a mini magazine that is self-produced and self-made. Uh, it usually has a strong philosophical component. Ours tends to speak about things like anarchy and freedom. And uh, that's been really fun to put out a physical product uh, quarterly in that way has been really cool. You know, we live in a digital world you know, we can have endless information on these devices in our pockets, but there's something special about having this sacred space where you hold a physical book and read its pages and are able to turn it and feel the materials. And I think that that's really important. The more digital our world gets, I think the more necessary beautiful physical objects are. So that's, that's our intent in printing things instead of just having them be on the internet. Oh, I love it. I come from, especially in my, my early days, my early days, I sound like I'm 50 here, but, <laughs> but in my younger years, uh, I went to a lot of like punk and hardcore shows and zines were a big thing. Like, like you mentioned anarchy, like that was, was sort of the idea is that we're going to give you information that is not mass produced, that is not controlled by corporations, that speaks to your life, um, and yeah, similarly, like records, right? Like that's gone away in a lot of in a lot of senses with MP3s and things like that. And that you no longer have this physical thing to touch and to go through the liner notes and to open the gatefold and to see the art. Uh, so I love that you're doing that. Um, and even like it's funny, even in a social media sense, I've talked on here before about how like social media can really, really be shitty for all the reasons why we know it can be shitty, but it can also really be used as, as a great tool. And, um, you know, I've used it as a tool for this podcast. It's how I've, you know, come across a lot of people, but I've also sort of been able to curate, uh, almost like a catalog of people and experiences that, you know, empower me and influence me and give me inspiration. And when I, even looking at your, your Instagram account, the pictures are gorgeous and you also do these like really in-depth, uh, meaningful and thoughtful write-ups to go along with, with the picture about what you're feeling and what you've been experiencing. Um, so even that I think is great. Like you, you guys are really great at your, at your craft. And, um, I would, yes, definitely implore people to go on the website and to check out the zine in the book. 
Um, I, I know you were packing them like, like mad the last few days or the last couple of weeks. Uh, can people still order the fourth edition of the zine? Yes. Thank you so much for your kind words. That really means a lot to us. Oh yeah, of um, course. Yeah. People can still order all of our art. I actually just set up my sister as a fulfillment house. Mm-hmm. So that's big. We don't have to carry around stuff in the bus and send it out. Um, so you can order on orangeisoptimism.com. Awesome. And that's where our stuff and is. Our, we are coming out with oh, the yeah. second edition of Orange is Optimism. It's actually getting, getting sent to the printer this week, and it should be re- uh, released in June. Uh, we're really excited about it. We sold out of our first edition faster than we thought we would, and we've been uh, kind of scurrying around to get a new and improved second edition together. So that should be going out early next week to the printer, and you can pre-order that if you're interested at orangesoptimism.com as well. Beautiful. For all the voyagers out there, I know someone that's turning 33 in June, so that sounds like a pretty cool gift. Um, <laughs> Good one. And then th- there's one more thing I wanted to mention. I saw that you will be featured... I don't think it's out yet, but you'll be featured in an upcoming documentary about living the van life. Uh, could you just speak about maybe that experience and what, and what people can expect with that? Yeah, it's such a big year for van life with all these things and all this connectivity. It's so cool that we've been able to share all these different places that you can go and connect with this movement. Yes, the documentary is coming out. It's called The Meaning of Van Life. I believe it comes out at the end of this month. I know it's in a festival or two. It's the 26th of April. It's available. Well, there you go. You can watch it on Vimeo On Demand anywhere in the world and on the Australian Netflix, which I forget the name. Stan. Stan. And they're they're currently getting, so it was made by an Australian filmmaker, so it's currently distributed widely in Australia, and they're working on U.S. distribution. But if you live anywhere in the world, you can order it on Vimeo On Demand. And it was really fun and exciting to be part of the documentary. Um, The filmmaker uh, went and featured three van lifers in particular and followed us around and um, kind of asked us, why we're doing this and showed our day to day and uh, was caught up in it. He uh, bought a van for the the shooting of the, of the journey. And so he was living in his van besides his subject, which I, which I think makes it very intimate because we woke up beside him in the morning and he got to wow. you know experience what each of our lives were like firsthand. And I, I really like the documentary because it does ask the question of why, which we get back to that again, right? Uh, all of these tools and all of the media coming out this year is trying to say, well, what is this, right? We've seen the headlines, we've seen the magazine articles, but what does van life mean anyway? Uh, so I think that, that that the documentary will be a good little view into that. It has a lot of really heartfelt moments. Uh, I said some things that when I watched it, the pre-screening myself, I was like, oh man, did I say that <laughs> on, <laughs> on the film uh, for all to see? But it, it's very intimate. And I, I think Jim did a great job. The, the filmmaker Jim did a great job. And I hope everyone enjoys watching. Awesome. All right. I have one more question for you. Um, so I know that you've been staying uh, most recently on a farm, I believe, in North Carolina. And that's how you we were sort of able to pack up all those zines and get sort of that the business side of that done before you can move on. Uh, it looks 
amazing. Again, like your pictures are really gorgeous. It looks like you're super happy. I think you might have even mentioned something to the effect of like, if we were to settle, like this is the type of atmosphere and place that we'd like to be. Um, so do you think, or, you know, do you ever think about a point when you might hand over the keys to the van and, uh, become sedentary, not necessarily jump back into like a standard nine to five American life, but uh, live more permanently in a single place. You know, we've, we've talked about if we, what, what will happen to us in the future. I don't know if we'll love doing what we currently do for the rest of our lives. That seems unlikely, right? We all go through different phases. This is working for us now. We'll stick with what we're doing as long as it brings us joy and as long as it's working. We're open to anything that might come our way, really. I don't think, I don't know if we have a vision of what we will do. We do often talk about um, living off of the land. We've really, you know, we've worked on, geez, 30 farms now. We've worked on a lot of farms and we've learned a lot about farming and we really do love it. There's so many parts of it, you know, that, that are very grounding, whereas our life is very windy and airy moving around all the time. There is something very grounding about getting food from, from your piece of dirt. And we, I think that could be in our future for sure. We, um, romanticize everything we romanticize <laughs> our van life and i think i do that too romanticize homestead life so if we were to do something else we'd probably go live on a romantic homestead somewhere yeah we we talk about you know getting you know a, a lot of land and living off of it and building our, our cabin from scratch and keeping sunshine of course that's i mean we could never get could never not have sunshine around so she'd still be our daily driver Maybe, maybe that's what will happen, right? At this moment, I, you know, we've been, as you said, we're leaving a farm right now and uh, we've been here for about two weeks and I am ready to go. I just, I cannot be, look, wake up and look at the same tree again tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of where we're at right now. There's like a restlessness in both of us, but that, that could fade. Maybe that will go away. And that, you know, but JR also talks about getting a sailboat and sailing around the world. That's Whoa. not a question either. That could be a fun way to go. I don't know. I understand the restlessness. I call that getting itchy when you're getting yeah. itchy to like get back out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. So we, we plugged the website in the YouTube channel. Let's um, plug the rest of the social media. And then if there's anything else you think that people should know or check out, uh, the floor is yours. Your your show notes are going to be so long if that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it was really cool that you touched on all the community um, involvements with the app and uh, documentary. There's also a book um, that Kit wrote the forward to named Van Life Diaries. As far as our social medias, it's Idle Theory Bus or Kit Whistler and or Jr. Switchgrass. Our YouTube channel just started. It's under Kit's name. She's the director and leader of this kind of thing. So that's YouTube Kit Whistler. You guys should come and join the bus with us. We love having everyone ride along with us. We like rainbows and we like having fun and we like talking with you. So, if, you know, if any of what we shared today or any of what you see on our website or Instagram uh, catches your fancy, shoot us an email and uh, 
we talk to people all the time. We find that we meet most of our community online first and then meet up in the physical world. So please do take the time. I love thoughtful conversation. Oh, and come to our meetup. Yeah. August 16th in Taos, New Mexico. You should be there. Van, no van, tent, sleep on the ground under the open stars. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to have a weekend camp out with music. We're going to have some workshops that some of our friends are putting on. Um, we're going to be giving back to the local uh, public land and some rangers hopefully are going to come by and talk about the mountains and the stage flats nearby. And we would love to see you there. You can get tickets at vanlife.com.au. Awesome. I'm going to be mushy for a second here before okay. we uh, before we break out. So first of all, just thank you so much. Uh, you guys are really wonderful. And like I said, you are inspiring. I love following your journey. Uh, you know, I get a lot of no's and, and I understand that completely. But one of the things in sort of, and I did this before I left, uh, a few years before I left, basically when I started this podcast, but I was essentially saying like, hey, okay, if I want something and I want to do it, I'm just going to like go for it, right? And so that means like I reach out to a ton of people. Uh, the late great and my hero Anthony Bourdain. You know, I had tried to get him on the podcast before he passed, and probably that was a pipe dream and maybe somewhat unrealistic. Uh, but I say that to say that there are so many people that I'm interested in talking to, uh, and you guys were part of that group. And I've been able now in the two and a half years of doing this. Uh, to meet and talk with and become friends with people and join communities and really put myself in places I otherwise like never would have been and maybe don't even belong uh, all through this podcast. And it's, it's enriched my life. Uh, I've met so many wonderful and amazing people. And like I said earlier, like sometimes my life feels like a movie. Like I don't even understand like uh, how this has been. Like I, I feel like the least interesting person amongst uh you know, dozens and dozens of, of, of wonderful and amazing people that I've met through this podcast. So, uh, you know, again, there's many things you could be doing with your time. Uh, so thank you guys. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I'm glad we got to do this today and I'm uh, glad that we got to share your story with all the voyagers out there. So thanks guys. You're welcome. We really enjoyed it as well. Thank you for your thoughtful and insightful com uh, questions. Yeah, we really enjoyed this conversation too. And keep doing what you are doing. It is so cool to whenever someone puts themselves out there in the world, you know, I think that that makes it, makes it a better place to live. And I think that you are contributing something meaningful. And I really hope that you keep doing it. Awesome. Thank you so much. That is a wrap on episode number 112 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you to Kit and JR. They are amazing, and I was really, really, really happy to do this one. I'm happy to do all of them. Who am I kidding? Uh, but this was, yeah, this was great. I've been following them for a while, so it was great to be able to get to know them and connect and to share their story with you, the Voyagers. So thank you to all of you Voyagers as well for tuning in as you always do, or maybe you're a first-timer. So thank you to you for checking out the podcast for the first time. I love hearing from people. So whether you are traveling in a van right now in the Pacific Northwest, or you are like some executive on Wall Street, or you are a single mom in Ohio, or you are an NHL star playing the playoffs right now. You can 
tell me places to go, reach out, recommend me podcast, say hello. You can do that by emailing me at thevoyagesoftimvetter at gmail.com. You can also check out the social media and all that stuff. Um, same as the podcast name. You get the idea. You could just Google the podcast name. Okay. All that to say, thank you, everybody. Greatly appreciate you. As always, please take care of each other. I will catch you next time.